Good morning, everyone. Let's make sure I'm on here. How's everyone doing? Good. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. If you are visiting with us, you're a special guest, and we want you to feel right at home. As Pastor Stephen mentioned, there's connection cards for everybody. And if you guys make a decision during the service or have a prayer request, if you'll just put that in the offering at the end, we'd love to hear from you guys. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, getting back to our series. We put a little pause on it during the Easter season, and we're going to resume today. So I just wanted to thank everybody for all your contributions for Easter. Uh, God really moved in a mighty way, and um, we really had a lot of great spiritual decisions that happened. Um, people giving their hearts to Jesus, asking him to bring them closer to, to him. And also we had a record attendance. I appreciate everyone inviting their friends and family. When we combine Easter and Good Friday together, we had close to 300 people that turned out. So let's give yourselves a hand. So uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, inviting your family and friends. Very special. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4. Verses 11 through 16, and as you turn there, I wanted to start off with a little fun story. There was an elderly lady that was walking into a church one Sunday morning, and the usher greeted her and was like, can I help you find a chair? Um, she, the lady said, sure. And he's like, well, let's go down here. He was getting ready to put her towards the back of the church, and she said, I want to go to the very front row. And he said, ma'am, you really don't want to go to the front row. She said, why not? She inquired. He said, well, because the pastor's really boring, and you may fall asleep on the front row. And she said, do you know who I am? And he said, no, ma'am, I sure don't. She said, I am the pastor's mother. (laughs) And he gulped and said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no, and he said, good. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to be in Ephesians 4. And just kind of to catch you guys up, since it's been a month, Um, We've been covering the book. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about who you are in Christ. And the last three chapters talk about how you apply this, the very practical. So the previous message was on bodybuilders for Christ, how you and I are bodybuilders and we're to build up the body of Christ. And just like in the physical realm, if uh, you don't exercise or eat right, it shows. The same thing's true in the spiritual realm. If you don't exercise your spiritual muscles eventually begin to feel lethargic and you just don't feel like you're where you need to be. So we're going to pick up on that same theme. And today's message is called How to Have a Thriving Church. How many of you want to be a part of a dead church? Anybody? I didn't think so. How many of you want to be a part of a thriving church? Raise your hand. All right. So today's message, a little preview. We're going to talk about how the church is so important because it's, it's the hope of the world. Because Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and the local church talks about Jesus Christ. So Christ is the hope of the world, and the, the church is the one who presents that hope to the world. Amen? So we're going to talk about why church and being a body is so important. So start in verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Notice the reason why in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
And we, we, a little pause there. We know that won't fully happen until we're with Christ and he's with the church. But we're, that's our goal. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and cared about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. For whom the whole body, joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share. Now notice what happens here when every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray over God's word. Father, we're just thankful to be a part of the church. And Jesus, we know you are the hope of the world. You're the only true hope of the world. And the local church... And the universal church, we're the one who are guardians of the gospel. We're the ones who are called to get the gospel out, to make disciples of all nations. So, Father, as we look at this text and we look at the role of the church and how important it is um, for reaching people and for having something that's going to make a difference in this world, help us, God. Speak to our hearts. And, Father, where we fall short of you in so many ways, forgive us and help us to be the church that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'll take out your listening guides. Uh, we got a, a lot of ground to cover today, so this will help you to kind of stay on track with me. But as a way of review, um, last, last time we covered part of this text, we talked as a bodybuilder, there are five main points. We are gracefully gifted, how God has given each of us a spiritual gift. If you're a believer, you have at least one gift. It's just like on your first birth, God gave you natural talents and abilities. Well, on your second birth, when you became born again, God gave you at least one spiritual gift. We talked about how richly victorious that Christ defeated Satan and he gave us spiritual gifts. And as we use these gifts, in effect, we're declaring our victory over the enemy. Because he's victorious, we can be victorious. Amen. We talked about how we're kingdom expanders, that... God wants us to get his rule and his reign out into the world. We talked about how we're readily equipped. And we talked about how we're anointed and appointed. So today I'm going to give you five truths about the thriving church. And kind of just give you a little preview. We're all better together. And this text talks about how each of us have a, a vital role. And if we work together, great things happen. If we don't work together, guess what happens? Well, you guys know that story. In many churches, we've seen churches that divide and struggle, and it's because they don't follow this text. So this text is really important. So let's look at the first truth about a thriving church. Number one, a thriving church has leaders who are allowed to lead. Now, if you notice in this text, it mentions what many call the fivefold ministry. And the first two gifted leaders are foundational leaders. It talks about apostles and prophets. And we know today there's... The twelve apostles, they, they, they live with Jesus, they're in heaven, and the Old Testament prophets are no longer with us. So we no longer have the office per se. But many people would say the gifting, as far as an apostle, is one who was sent out with an authoritative message. And even though we don't have the office of apostle now, do we not send out missionaries who have a message of the gospel? So that would be kind of the modern day usage of that. Uh, prophets, we don't have anyone writing scriptures today. The canon is closed. But do we have people that speak the truth boldly? 
an authoritative way. This is what God says from his word. So that would kind of be like the role of someone that has that prophetic ability. They're, they're kind of black and white thinkers. They tell it like it is. How many of you know someone like that? Don't, don't look at the person next to you. Um, evangelists. The role of an evangelist is someone that shares Christ without fear. But also part of their role, as each of these gifted leaders will see, their role is to teach others how to evangelize. Did you know that some people will say, I don't have the gift of evangelism? Well, it doesn't matter. We're all to be evangelistic, right? Someone may say, I don't have the gift of encouragement. Well, does that mean you're, you're to discourage people if you don't have that gift? Uh, we're all to have a role. Um, pastors and teachers. Now, last time we talked about in the original Greek, it's kind of a hyphen. But in other places in the Bible, it lists this as two separate uh, gifted leaders. And the reason why is... Not every teacher is a good pastor. No one say amen to that. But not every teacher is a good pastor, but every pastor should be a good teacher. Have you guys ever met anybody that was just a phenomenal communicator, but once you got in person, they didn't really want to talk to you? Well, they may have been a good teacher, but they may not necessarily have been a pastor. And I have a friend like that who loves preaching. That's his favorite thing, but he's like, don't give me a church because he doesn't want to deal with the day in and day out that goes on. So the pastors and teachers role. So God has given each of these to do their role. But what would happen if the gifted leader uh, didn't have the opportunity to lead? Or how I could rephrase this is what about in your life? I'm going to talk to the ladies. How would you like it if your husband micromanaged everything you did? Would that make you ladies feel well? (laughs) You wouldn't like that, would you? In the same way, in the church... Part of our roles as gifted leaders is to empower you guys, not to micromanage you. And we'll see that in the next verse, that God has called gifted leaders to lead. And if you're leading, God's going to use you in such a way. But at Arden First, we want you to know our heart, our job is to equip and empower you to lead. And so many churches, it has to go through a certain process where no one gets anything done. And our goal is to equip you. If you notice in your... your your notes, Lord Montgomery, he was a famous British officer. He fought through World War I and World War II, and somehow he survived a long time. But he gives seven things about warfare that really apply to spiritual warfare and also to leadership. If you'll notice in your notes, these are qualities of a good leader. He or she should be able to sit back and avoid getting immersed into detail. And as a leader, you have to look at the full picture. Because one part affects the other parts. And that's part of the role of a pastor, is we have to see every ministry of the church and how one ministry affects the other and how someone may have a certain gift over here, but another gift over there, but it all works together. Number two, he must not be petty. I think that's true with any of us, right? Must not be pompous or prideful. You remember how we talked about whenever pride walks on the stage, God walks off the stage? Um, He must be a good picker of men. So we're going to talk about that later in the message. But number five, he must trust those under him and let them get on with their job without interference. I thought that was really good. Number six, he must have the power of clear decision. Now, part of being a leader is you need to be able to make decisions. If you have a challenge making decisions, God may have given you a different gift other than a leadership gift. Number seven, he should inspire confidence. So gifted leaders are called to lead. The second thing of a thriving church is a thriving church has members 
who are equipped and empowered for the ministry. I love verse 12. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for what? The work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So a lot of times in American church, it resembles kind of a college football game where you have a few people out in the, the stands, you know, they're watching and then you have a few people out in the field and the 22 people playing on the field are in desperate need of, of rest and the people in the stands are in desperate need of exercise and one's rooting the other on. But in the local church, did you realize that every Christian is a minister? A minister is, is a servant. And when you realize that, that kind of changes the way you view yourself. Because you notice verse 12, the saints are equipped to do ministry. Now, that doesn't exclude the leaders from doing ministry. They're also to do ministry with the saints. But one of their primary roles is equipping the saints. So did you know that you can get up in the morning and say, good morning, pastor, good morning, reverend? Because you're a minister. Have you ever thought about that? Now, you may not be an ordained minister, but you're called to do ministry. If you look at verse 12, it says that you are called for the work of ministry. Do you ever think about that? So that completely changes the dynamic. Instead of there being a big separation from pastors and the lay people, we're all ministers. Verse 11 says God calls certain gifted leaders to lead the people, but we're all in this thing together. Amen. So tomorrow morning, you look up and say, good morning. It's time to do ministry, right? <laughs> so, and I've heard people say about the pastor's role, uh, sometimes in the business world, people can get the mindset that the pastor is the C, what is it, EO. Well, I, I, I would disagree with that because that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the chief executive officer. But maybe we should redefine the E. The pastor is the chief equipping officer. So you've got to change the E. So not the chief executive, but I'm the chief equipper. And my job is to equip you guys for the ministry. So many of you, you ever ask the question, what does a pastor do? Anybody ever wonder that? I don't know, curious. Uh, I had this lady, it's funny, at uh, Lake Hills, it was funny. She volunteered at the office and she said, I'm so glad I did that because I thought pastors just, and she was serious. She said, I thought pastors only worked on Sunday and Wednesdays. <laughs> and she's like, I'm glad to see it wasn't true, but that's what she thought. But in your notes, I listed five hats that a pastor wears. So this is how do I equip you so that together we do the ministry. There's five hats. The first one is the character checker. My job is to check character and to make sure that your character and your ministry are heading in the same direction. Because if there is a discrepancy between your character and your talent level, that's what you call a character crisis waiting to happen. And you ever notice why people fall in ministry? It's often because their talent surpasses their character. So in your notes, I wrote a prayer that I got from another pastor. I thought it was really well laid out. He said, Lord, help my character to always be greater than my talent and help my humility to always be larger than my platform. So if, if, if that's true of you, if your character is always greater than your talent, and your humility is always larger than your platform. God's going to use you in mighty ways for the ministry. Amen. And we've seen the opposite. You've seen people's talent that was far greater than their character. And what happens eventually, it catches up to them. And my heart breaks for so many ministers and people that were so talented. They were like a shooting star blazing through the dark night sky. But all of a sudden, they're no longer. Because they had great, they had great talent, but they didn't have great character. 
So my job is to develop help with the, the Holy Spirit to develop character. The second one is the gift scout. Um, many of you have heard of a talent scout. Well, if I'm going to equip you for ministry, I've got to know what your gift is. So if you ever notice, I'm always asking you what you're passionate about and trying out things. It's because one of my roles and the other pastors is we're to see the best in you and to bring it out. We're not to try to bring the worst out of you. We're trying to bring out the best in you. Many of you have hidden talent, hidden gold that's yet to be discovered. So part of my job and Stephen and the other ministers is where to discover God's gifts inside of you and help you discover them, bring it out. The third one is the coach. So if the character is heading in the right direction, doesn't mean we're perfect, but it's heading in the right direction. The, the spiritual gift has been identified. There's a coaching that happens. So part of a coach is to say, you're doing a good job, or if things don't go so well, how can we you know, improve on this? So part of a pastor's job is to coach. How many of you have ever been involved in a ministry that didn't have coaching and you felt left alone? Anybody ever felt that way? And you're like, where's the support? Well, part of being an equipper pastor is to coach you. The fourth one, which I, I like this analogy, is the trainer. Many of you have had a physical trainer before. Well, the pastor's kind of the spiritual trainer, training you, motivating you. Um, Lori and I, it's funny, after we had our, I believe, second baby, uh, we went through CrossFit for a few months, and that was really hard. And one thing that... Uh, I'll say one of us, I'm not going to mention which one, one of us didn't like about it is the coach would kind of get in your face and say, you can do another pull-up, another burpee, and they would start yelling at you, and you're like, <laughs> Lori's like, <laughs> and you know, you just had to say, I'm going to do it, or I'm going to quit, and um, the coach really motivated you, and it really, I mean, we listened to the coach, and we got in the best shape of our lives, pretty much, so that's, that's the coach, and then you have the trainer helping you to develop your spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities. So the coach and trainer kind of work together. And then you have the activator. You know, a spiritual gift is great, but if it's not activated, it lays dormant. And so many churches could be impacting so many communities if all the gifts, talents, and abilities were activated. The character was there, the gifting was realized, and then it was activated. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. And that's part of our job as pastors. So our job 24-7 is to love on you, to shepherd you, and also to equip you so that together we can change the world around us. Amen. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a world changer. You just didn't know it. But now you know it. But you know, kind of what we're teaching every member as a minister, that's kind of, we don't hear that anymore. But if you read the text... It says the saints are equipped for what? The ministry. I mean, that's, that should be mind-boggling to think about that. Wake up yourself as God, God has called me to do ministry. And ministry is just the fancy word for your servant. So, um, number three, a characteristic of a thriving church. A thriving church is united around who? Jesus Christ and growing in Christian maturity. I love verse 13 and 14. Um, you know, Paul was a pretty straight shooter. And sometimes it gets him a bad rap, but he, he told it like it was, but he did it in love. He says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Jesus Christ. And as I said, spiritually, God has forgiven us, so in, in position that's true, but as far as practice, we're still working there. 
And this will not be fully completed until we're with him face to face. But look at verse 14. Part of the reason for this, that God wants us to be mature as a church, is look at verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So there's three main objectives in these two verses we see of a thriving church. The first one is this, staying united in our faith. How is it so hard? Why is it so hard that churches become so divided? You ever think about that? Churches become so divided, get so off track. Is it because we keep our folk, we don't keep our focus on Jesus? We get on side issues. Um, the second objective is growing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, here's a formula I gave the Wednesday night group a while back, but it's, it's stuck with me since I've been a, a young adult. But it was the formula R plus R minus R equals, let's see if anybody remembers, R. So if you have rules plus regulations minus relationship, it equals rebellion. I'll say that again. Rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. So here's, here's where the gospel emphasizes if you have a great relationship with Jesus Christ, everything flows out of that. If I talk about rules and regulations and don't focus on the relationship, you're going to rebel. Because everything good flows out of a good relationship. And that's, that's something important. It's got to start with your relationship with Jesus Christ. In that text, it talks about to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's, that's our heart as a church, to become more and more like Jesus every day. The third objective is to become mature in our faith. And maturity is something that's so hard. Um, I read about this story of two fishermen, and they decided to skip church one Sunday. And sure enough, they thought they were going to catch the biggest bass, and nothing was biting that day, just like me turkey hunting the other day. Nothing, you know, didn't get anything. So nothing was biting. And one of the friend looked at his other friend and said, you know what? We really should have went to church. We should have stayed home and went to church. And the other friend said, well, I could have stayed home, but I couldn't have gone to church. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, my wife's at home sick. So I could have stayed home, but I couldn't have gone to church. And the other friend's like, so your wife's sick and you can go fishing, but you can't go to church? And the, boy, the other guy's like, yep. And he's like, <laughs> it's a funny story, but it, it resembles that we have so many excuses for something that's so good. And the reason why I'm so passionate about the church is not, this is not getting something from you, it's something for you. Because if Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, the church matters. It matters for your neighbors It matters for your family members. It matters for those who don't know the Lord. It matters for those who do know the Lord. And that's why Paul, in this text, talks about the church working together in such a way that there's maturity happening. So how can we accomplish these three goals? If you'll notice in your notes, there's a few thoughts of application I thought about. The first thing is this. Keep the main thing the main thing. Stay in the fundamentals of the faith. As a pastor, I often get... Ask these side theological questions. Timothy, what do you think about the spiritual gifts? What do you think about this and that? I don't mind answering them, but my point is, listen, we're about Jesus Christ. We're about the Word of God here. We're about changing lives. We don't want to get off on rabbit trails because all they do is promote division, fights. People begin to slander each other on side issues. So keep, as my dad always told me all my life, Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. 
So we're focused on the triune God, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. We're focused on God's word, which I believe every word of it, inspired and infallible. And we believe that we're here to help grow the saints and reach the lost. That's, that's the main things. Amen. The second one is stay biblical and balanced. Oh, is it so hard to stay balanced in this world? I use a lot of physical analogies to, to get it understand. But, uh, you know, I, I try to eat somewhat healthy, but I get unbalanced with sweets. That's my, my weakness. I have a sweet, aholic tooth, like Reese cups. Mm. Um, what else do I like? I mean, there's a long list of candies that are vices. And so I'm working and I'm slowly minimizing my level of sugar, but around Easter, the candy's everywhere. So staying balanced in my diet's hard, but even harder is staying balanced in church. Because so many of us are passionate about so many things, and all these things are valid. But how do we stay biblical and balanced? One of the, re- one of the ways we do it is we've, we're a 66 books of the Bible church. And that's why we teach the books of the Bible. It's easy to take one verse and go off on a, a tangent. One of the benefits of teaching the books of the Bible is it helps create balance. We go through it and we, we try to see it with balance. Number three, and I talk to the staff about this all the time, marry the mission but date the model. Marry the mission but date the model. Kind of a little pun there. But what that means is our mission is the great, what, commission to make disciples. The model is how you do it. Did you know the model constantly changes but the mission never changes? The Bible never changes, but how you reach people You've got to adapt it. So give an example. Um, anybody used to ride in horse and buggy? Anybody here? Oh, a few of you did. Okay. What happened when the Ford came out? What happened when cars began to change? The mission was traveling, but the model changed. It went from horse and buggy to the Ford. And I don't know all the history of cars, but it changed a lot. So in church, the mission never changes. The Bible never changes. But the model, how you do it, it changes based upon the culture. If I go to Africa, you think the way I reach them is going to be a little different. Same message, but one thing is I'm going to have to learn their language, right? Learn their culture. So we've got, we got to realize the world around us, we've got to keep the mission, but understand we have to adapt it so they can understand the gospel. Number four, focus on those things that unite us, not on those things that divide us. So in other words, on the essentials, we have unity. But the non-essentials, the the side issues, we have freedom. But in all things, we have love. I'll say that again. In the essentials of the faith, fundamentals, we've got to have unity. We've got to stand on the Bible as God's word, the Trinity, the deity of Jesus. Those fundamentals we stand. But the non-essentials, the debatable things, there's freedom. But in all things, there's love. Number five, stay active on reaching people and making disciples so you won't have enough time to be idle or gossip. Did you know that I've learned from my short lifespan that those who are rowing the boat have a little time to rock the boat, but those who rock the boat aren't rowing the boat? So one of my jobs as a pastor is just to keep you guys engaged in the mission, because if you're engaged in the mission, there's no time. There's so many people to reach. There's no time to get distracted. Somebody said, amen. So look back at verse 14. What happens when this doesn't happen? What happens when a person doesn't keep their focus on Jesus Christ? Well, verse 14 says they become childish 
Um, they they kind of get distracted. We joked in Easter how some people have SADD, spiritual attention deficit disorder. They just get distracted, go astray. Um, they're led astray by fads. And this year I celebrate um, celebrated 19 years officially in the ministry, but about 20 years of preaching. And as I look back on the past 19, 20 years, there's so many stories. I was talking to my wife about it this weekend, how so many people were so on fire and then all of a sudden, they're like, I don't believe in God anymore. And you're like, how do you go from that? They got distracted. They, they got off mission. They weren't really engaged. Um, and that just breaks my heart as a pastor, just to see people that you thought they had it, but they really didn't. And, you know, only God knows whether they had it or not. And that's, I'll, I'll give you one quick story. Um, Back in my early 20s, there was this really sharp young man. He was very handsome, very gifted, intelligent, everything life could offer. And um, he, he was, I mean, he was more conservative than I was. I mean, he just like, and I was just like, man, loosen up a little bit. And that's, that's a lot for me to say that to somebody else. And because, uh, you know, I was the preacher kid and this guy was even more conservative than I was. And I'm like, man, where did you come from? And a few years later, I ran into him and... He basically said he was agnostic, didn't believe in God anymore. And I'm like, you kidding me? And he had fallen in love with the bright lights of Hollywood. He wanted to be a movie producer, got in that whole world. And all of a sudden, his attention no longer was on Jesus. And I'm just like, how do you go from being like all in to... And Paul gives us that warning. Don't be like children. Don't be easily distracted. Don't let people lead you astray. Because if this, this world is full of people, you just turn on your television, full of people trying to lead you astray. So stick by the book. Amen. Number four, and I'll speed up. A thriving church has a balance of grace and truth. Look at verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in what? In love. We may grow up in all things and to him who is the head. Now, here's the, here's the situation about churches. And I'm, I'm a... Uh, a big fan of churches. I, I love the body of Christ, imperfect as we are. I love churches. I study churches. I talk to pastors all around. But here's what I've seen the two tendencies we fall into. There are sometimes grace churches and there's sometimes truth churches. You ever been to a truth church where they just tell it like it is and you come away like beat up every Sunday? You're like, I thought I was being encouraged, but man, that guy told me every sin I ever did. And it was just like... And you feel like unless, and I've even heard people say this, sadly. I've heard people say, unless I feel like God beat me up in church, I didn't go to church. And I'm like, where did you get such bad theology from? That's just way out there. But then you have grace churches, which many churches today are becoming full of grace. And you just come as you are. And it's truth light. Uh, We skip over the, the verses in the Bible we don't like. And it becomes like a salad bar. We pick and choose what we want the rest. We just don't talk about because we're a grace church and we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. If you look at verse 15, it says you need to do both the truth in love. So here's the thing. Naturally, you're going to be a grace person or a truth person. We're naturally geared that way. So you need to ask God to help you with the balance. If you're a grace person, you just love people and you don't want to hurt people's feelings. That's a good thing. But don't be truth light. If you're a truth person and you just want to tell it like it is. You need to learn to love a little bit better, okay? There's a balance there. So I wrote in my notes, um, whenever you have truth minus grace, truth minus grace, it leads to legalism. 
Whenever you have grace minus truth, it leads to theology liberalism. But whenever you have grace plus truth, it equals growth and health. I'll say that again. Truth minus grace equals legalism. Grace minus truth equals theological liberalism. But whenever you have grace plus truth, you have growth and you have health. Amen. Number five, a thriving church, a church that we want to be a part of. We all said we want to be a part of a thriving church. It's composed of people who are each doing their part to grow the body of Christ. Now, I love verse 16. He gives us the body analogy. He says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies. Anybody ever have a joint go out? That kind of hurts, doesn't it? According to the effective working by which each part does its what? Each part does its share. What happens when that, that occurs? It causes growth of the body. So the growth of the body is not by some fad. It's not by even some style. It's substance when everyone's doing their part. For the edifying of itself in love. So how many of you enjoy going to sporting events? Anybody in here like sporting events? Okay. Well, I came across this article and it really kind of shocked me. This person gave 12 reasons why they would never go to a sporting event again. And that kind of it shocked me because I'm a big sports fan. And uh, so let me read these to you and see if you can relate. Twelve reasons I don't go to sporting events anymore. The first one is every time I went, they asked for money. That's true. I mean, I, especially when you go to pro level. The people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. The seats were very hard. That is true, especially high school games. The coaches never came to visit me. The referees made a decision that I didn't agree with. I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what each other was wearing and watching what was going on. Some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. The band, you musicians are going to love this, the band played some songs I'd never heard before. The games are scheduled on my only day off to sleep in and run errands. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches do anyway. And I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sports they like the best. Do any of these reasons sound familiar? <laughs> See, I think if we can reframe it that the church, we've got to get rid of all the reasons why church is not important. Why we're not connected or committed because... Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He's the only hope. And the local church is the one who has the gospel message. So, what are some truths as we close this message out about my role in the body of Christ? And this is in your listening guide handout. Number one, as I do my part, the whole body experiences growth. Don't you love that part? We're in this together. If you're doing your part, the body grows. Number two, when I slack, the body experiences lack. You ever wake up one, one day and your heart's not there? You ever wake up one day and your right leg's not working? It's not too good, is it? The church is the same. Number three, when I encourage and love others, this is like energy and vitamins for the body's health. And some of you are such good encouragers. I, I'm encouraged when I'm around you, and I, I love that. On the contrary, number four, when I gossip and, and critical, this is like cancer in the body. 
it causes destruction in the body. Number five, Jesus will reward me for all the good I did for his body. And that's something beautiful. Many of you, and you, many of you in here have been great and successful in the business realm, and that's, that's a blessing. Did you know one thing that if you devote yourself to, it'll live on for eternity, and that's the kingdom of God? I mean, it's great to be successful in the business realm. I bless you all for that. But one thing that lives on for eternity is the word of God in the souls of men. And when you invest in that, God's going to reward you. Amen. Number six, I will be held accountable for all the harm that I, I have caused to the body of Christ. So when we think about it, there's a lot of positive and a lot of uh, things like ouch. But the church is so important. And I've devoted my entire life to it. And there is nothing I would rather do than the church. There's nothing I'd rather do than love on you guys and be with you. And we're truly better together. In closing, I have this uh, slide I want to put up on the screen. And I don't know where this came from. It was from an anonymous source. But it was a person writing about them being the church. When I am the church, here's what happens. I love what this person wrote. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do great work if I work. It will, be, it will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into the fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. If I who make it is what it is and filled with these things. Therefore, I love this prayer, therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. Isn't that powerful? So your take-home truth is this. Arden First Baptist, we can become a thriving church if we each do our part. And I want you guys to walk away not with the sting, but with an encouragement that you guys are so important. I mean, God says you are, that he's gifted you, that you're loved and you're called. And I, I talk to people who say, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm that gifted. Well, based upon God's word and what we're studying in Ephesians, you are amazingly gifted. And the church cannot fully live up, live up to its full potential if you're not living up to your God-given gifts and abilities. So here's an action step. You know how I mentioned I used to be in CrossFit and they would give certain challenges? Well, one of the challenges they gave, uh, where was it, 30 days? I can't remember what it was, but we had to do boot camp for, no, it was six weeks, right? Something like four to six weeks. And you had to commit to like five days in the gym training and they got on you if you missed. I'm not going to do anything like that. But as a spiritual trainer, I'm going to give you the six by two challenge. Are you ready for it? Six by two. So for six weeks in a row, commit to attending a worship service in a small group. And I know some of you are saying, well, Timothy, you don't understand. I vacation. I'm out of town. Well, that's okay. Because wherever you're at, there's a church. And we'll even throw Wednesday night. It's kind of a bonus because we do worship and we also have small group around the table. So if you miss small group, we, we still have Wednesday night. That'll be another opportunity, another worship. So you're like, why would you give such a challenge? Well, the reason why is if you want to experience God like never before, if you want the church to experience health like never before, we need to seek God like never before. Amen. James says it like this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let us pray together.
Father, your word is challenging, but Lord, your word is living and active. And God, my prayer over this message is that whatever you've spoken to us, that God, it would just settle within us deeply. And God, I know for some of us, we would say, you know, dear Father, I'm not been the person I need to be. And God, our prayer would be that you would help us. And God, for all of us, all of us have untapped spiritual potential that's just waiting to bless the world and bless the church. So Father, my prayer is that you would just move through the Holy Spirit, that you would encourage and convict and help us to be not just any church, but to be a thriving church that's trying to measure up to the fullness of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time we're going to have our closing song.